$699.8 million. My brother called me a few nights ago fawning outrage when someone else won his Powerball jackpot this week. He'd been spending his winnings hypothetically for a week, so disappointed that some jerk in California stole his money. I've had similar dreams myself about the lottery. Seems like I would have a much better chance of winning if I actually bought a ticket. Never have, probably never will. Maybe one time I bought one. I was just as outraged, right? Though gifts and donations are greatly appreciated for the good of the church and a host of other charities, of course. Or... Would I choose my, uh, lose my mind like so many lottery winners who become so mesmerized by dollar signs and toys that they buy over everything else? The green god, as some put it, and they end up broke in the end. In our first reading today, Solomon kind of won the lottery. As a young king, he was pleasing to the Lord, and one night God came to him and asked him, or invited him to ask whatever he wanted, a genie-in-the-bottle moment, if there ever was one, beyond any other lottery. But interestingly, Solomon didn't ask for power or money, a big house or a long life. No, he asked for wisdom. In today's first reading, Solomon shows us that he was already wise just for asking for wisdom. I preferred wisdom to scepters and thrones, and I accounted wealth as nothing in comparison with her. I loved her more than health and beauty, and I chose to have her rather than light, because her radiance never ceases. Wisdom is different from intelligence, by the way. It's a gift from God to make right judgments, to order choices in accordance with God's will. In today's gospel, Jesus also applies divine wisdom to the most important question that we will ever face as human beings. What must I do to inherit eternal life? First, Jesus lists the commandments that make some bristle, incidentally, in the modern day because we don't like to be told what to do in any circumstance. But the commandments bestow God's wisdom to our lives and to our moral decisions. They're like stepping stones on the path to eternal life. Jesus recognizes, however, that just keeping the commandments won't be enough to receive everything God has in store for us, everything that God wants for us. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says to the rich young man, you lack one thing. In Matthew's version of the same story, the young man says, what more must I do? Jesus sets the bar high by saying, if you wish to be perfect. Jesus knew that despite all his riches, the young man was missing something, something that would satisfy his deepest longings and would help him become the man that God calls him to be. And so here's God's wisdom. Jesus says, go sell what you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Hold the phone. Let's not be a fanatic here. Mark tells us he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. In our second reading today, it says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And In this case, the word of God pierced right into the young man's heart and exposed what the rich young man defined as wisdom. And it wasn't God's wisdom. 
When given a chance between God's incarnate wisdom and money, the young man chose money. And he went away sad, broken, and incomplete. The choice of this rich young man was a stark contrast than that of Solomon, who preferred God's wisdom to all wealth. Seems silly that we, when we see it spelled out like this, that the young man wouldn't give up his wealth to follow the creator of the universe who possessed every human treasure. But he was caught off guard, and he didn't know that Jesus would make him choose. Jesus also makes us choose, makes us prioritize. You cannot serve two masters, he says in another passage. You either hate one and and love the other, or to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, this summer I took a flight, and out of sheer boredom I was reading the information sheet in the back pocket. They, they tell us to, to read in the, in the seat back, even emergency information. And I was amazed at the emergency card directed that in emergency evacuations, leave your belongings behind in big, bold letters. Just had an image of people surrounded by flames and chaos after a plane crash getting their stowed luggage and computer bags and purses from the overhead bins and dying trying to get them through the little emergency door. Could there be a better image of how we are trapped hanging on sometimes to our stuff? Because with that attitude, we'll never be able to pass through the eye of the needle into the kingdom of heaven. Let's be clear, this is not just about money, that money is somehow evil. Even Jesus had wealthy friends like the rich man Joseph of Arimathea and Zacchaeus, who, who is saved after pledging to give half his goods to the poor, which also meant that he kept the other half. The harm comes when we start to believe we need to become attached to these things when they own us rather than the other way around, rather than us being stewardships of the gifts of God. We begin to worship our stuff instead of the one true God. Put another way, St. Paul doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil, as in our eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith. If we put faith, hope, love, and energy into money and the raising of money, it becomes our God. And it's not that such a person could be easily defined as evil. He may even keep the Ten Commandments like the rich young man. The lover of wealth in this world might even consider God really important, but for him, God is not the most important thing in his life. How do we know? Because when we have to make a choice to part with his money and to serve Christ, he'll choose money, selling off Christ, giving his time, talent, and his energies to stuff instead of God. Frankly, even the poorest among us are financially better off than most people in the world. So what Jesus says in today's gospel applies to all of us. Jesus' disciples were exceedingly astonished, it says in our scriptures, at the severity of Christ's statement and asked, then who can be saved? Do any of us have a chance, or are we like the camels before a microscopic hole? Yes, Jesus says. Jesus says that God makes salvation possible 
and he shows us the way. But it isn't supposed to be easy. Go sell what you have, give money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Wow, some preachers try to water down this stark and challenging threefold imperative of Jesus, telling people, don't worry. Others have done more harm, misinterpreting that Jesus is commanding us. It would be ridiculous to suggest that with all our responsibilities that we should go down to the pawn shop, get rid of all of our stuff, and then go give a lump sum to the Merciful Help Center or the Trinity Free Clinic, though that would be nice. It all comes down to what the Lord means by selling what you have. What he's getting at is putting our resources at the service of others. In other words, there are many ways to give this money away. We give it when we use it to support our families, not spoil the members of our families, to support and educate our families. Business owners give it away by creating jobs with fair wages so that people can support themselves and their loved ones. We give it away when we tithe and we serve the poor. My parents used to give it away by opening their home to any wayward teenager in need that they could find. As Jesus promises in Matthew 25, we're not going to be able to buy him off at the moment of judgment. He's going to judge us on the basis of our actions. For I was hungry and you gave me food, and thirsty and you gave me drink. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you comforted me. A stranger, and you welcomed me. In short, our material wealth is a blessing when it leads us to eternity, and our destruction when it leads us elsewhere. So on this Sunday of Ordinary Time, we would do well to examine our relationship with God versus stuff, God versus money. By how we live our lives, which or who comes first?